So just to remind you that I've been asking you, and I started last week, and I'm going to do it one more time today, to collect up stories of service and bring them to share them. But we're not going to share them today, so you've got to reprieve. You've got one more week. Next Sunday, this time will be all about stories of service for one week. Okay, so next time we're going to be talking about that. But today we're just going to, we're going to give you that reprieve, and we're going to pray together and go straight to the tithes and offerings. And I'm going to ask... Uh, Brother Tony Brister, would you pray for us as we go to Tithes and Offerings? One, Tony. Lord, we do thank you for another day you've given us. Thank you for uh, bringing us all here together. We know there are some of us. So it's not to come. We just ask you, the Lord, to be with them, watch over them, and speak to their hearts. And hopefully they're tuning in. Just uh, ask the Lord to uh, do the service. Every aspect of it, for asking for this message, and Lord, we're thankful so much. I am, you know, for for labor, for work, that I can earn some money, pay some bills, to live a good life. Yes, and uh, to give back to you. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me with that. Sometimes here recently, it just seemed like it's on and on and on. But Lord, you have a purpose. You have a plan. Fearless for today, plus he's tied him up to give them. And I uh, think the word you Bye. 
<laughs> Hello, New Heights Fellowship. Hello. Hi, Gary Drew. So it's really super good to be back, and it's nice to be able to be here. I saw you. Um, I saw you. Because I really like my dad. <laughs> so, uh, so Father's Day is kind of extra special for me this year because it's my husband's first Father's Day. And if you guys get a chance, look at that adorable shirt because. They're matching. Um, really. So that's super fun. So um, And I can just, I just, I just really hope that one day, uh, Rayleigh has a kind of relationship that I do with my dad. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, Alicia asked me last week, or a week and a half ago, she's like, you're going to be there on Father's Day, right? And I'm like, yeah, probably. Why? And she's like, you're going to do Father's Day gifts, right? And I'm like, oh, some crap. So then, and then she texted me on, I think, was it Thursday or Wednesday, one of those. She said, did you figure out Father's Day gift yet? And I said those those laughing till you're crying emoticon things, and I said, no. She's like, you know, it's only four days away, right? And I'm like, yes. So then I'm thinking even harder, and I'm like, what can I do with that? And then I kept, I was like, oh, you do a flashlight. And then I remember on my dad's, I think it's on his um, thing by the back door, I did a flashlight last year. This about uh, being the light, and then I was like, I'll do a tape measure, because you are, you should measure, try to measure up to God, and I was like, oh, I did tape measure two years ago, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm like, I have no idea to get what they get to get, dead, because for, for moms, I've, I've always thought, moms are easy, you can mom a flower, mom's set, I, I, that, that's what I get from my mom for Mother's Day, almost every year is flowers, and she's always ecstatic, because she loves flowers, or you can do something cutesy with the kids, and I'm like, I, dads need something useful. Because, I mean, I'm sure they'll appreciate the cutesy thing, but I'm, what's a cutesy thing going to do for a hard-working dad? You got us new cars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I should have. Put the Matchbox cars. That would oh, be beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking full-size car. Full-size car. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and that hit me. I, I, I was like, you know, this is, it's, it's kind of corny, and I think the dads will appreciate it. Um, but before I get to that, I want to I wanna read one thing. It's... Um, I seen this, my cousin posted this on Facebook and I had to say it because I was like, you know what, this is, I don't know who wrote it, um, but I was like, you know what, this, this, this is a, this is a dad. So, God took the strength of a mountain, the majesty of a tree, the warmth of a summer sun, the calm of a quiet sea, the generous soul of nature, the comforting arm of night, the wisdom of the ages, the power of eagles' flight, the joy of a morning and spring, the faith of a mustard seed. The patience of eternity, the depth of the family need. Then God combined these qualities, and there was nothing more to add. He knew his masterpiece was complete, and so he called it Dad. Um, so I just I thought that was cute, and I was like, you know what? Because when I read it, I had tears coming in my eyes, because of course it reminded me of my dad. Um, and because when I when I think of dads, I think of strength, and I think of power, and I think of you, when I especially think of my dad, I think of a mountain because that's where I like to be with my dad and just hiking. That's super fun. Um, but you know, because you think of dad, you're like big hog. If you're scared, who do you run to? You run to your dad. If you need something, if you're hurt, I don't. I know some kids they like to cry to their mom, but I've always cried for my dad. Um, and what's also funny about that is my dad's also the one who's always, if I hurt myself, he's like, get up and keep going. Um, but I won't tell the story of my last set of stitches. Uh, we'll say that for another time. Um, but I'm always, I, you know, every time I need some, someone 
are big and strong, I would always say, hey dad, I need a, I need a man. Or hey dad, I need your muscles. Or I always, if I, I don't know how many text messages start out to my dad, it's hey dad, I need. Or hey dad, could you? And no matter how much my dad has always, you know, because my, my dad's a busy guy. Um, my dad gets sent out of the town a lot. I don't know, Pastor Dan, you're a busy guy. Um, all you dads, you guys are busy guys, right? But I know um, because the examples that at least the fathers in this church have, they know that if someone calls out, not just your family, if it's some, um, a, a child of the church or the adopted children, if you will, because I know if Alicia calls my dad, my dad's like, ah, yeah, I'll be there, what do you mean? <laughs> um, so I know we can always, there's just dads you can call on for whatever you need, and a dad will always drop everything to be there for you, um, no matter the... Um, no matter the time of day, or no matter how long it takes. Uh, so now I want to get to the Father's gift. And now, dads, I just want you to know, this is not, it's not cute. It's not something that you're going to put on yourself. It's functional, because I think dads need functional things. And this one, it's, it's not going to be functional for too long. It has a shelf life. Um, so, dads, for, for this Father's Day, I got you, I got you tractors. This is not perfect. This is trail mix. Um, and I got trail mix, and then I, I told Alicia, I was like, I'm going to put them in little cute portions of little cute mason jars. And I was like, you know what? Screw that. <laughs> because when you get trail mix, you don't, I mean, a, a, a serving size is a quarter a quarter cup, and that's not a whole heck of a lot. But, um, you know, you, you do that to your own dietary needs. I'm not going to. But I thought... You know, I could just put it in this little eight-ounce jar, but that's not a whole lot of trail mix. Because, um, guys, the jerk, the, the this, this, I'm going to read this third day song to you called um, Mountain of God. And uh, ever since I decided on, I'm going to give you that trail mix, this song kept popping in my head. And I'm just going to read the course to you. What? People online, I can't hear you. Um, So the course of Mountain of God, it says, even though the journey is long and I know the road is hard, well, the one who's gone before me, he will help me carry on. After all that I've been through, now I realize the truth, that I must go through the valley to stand upon the mountain of God. So dad's uh, trail mix, when I think of trail, this is not the best trail mix because it has, it has raisin, or I mean raisins are good for some people, but it has candy in it. So it's not the really good trail mix. But it has, it has the stuff you need to help sustain you a little bit. Because when I think of trail mix, I think of nuts. When I go hiking, I grab nuts. I don't grab a candy bar. I don't grab, and, and I, you know, I grab something that's going to sustain me. Because um, the, the journey is long, and uh, you, you dads, you, you guys are who your children look up to. You are who your adult children still look up to to see how how to act, how to how to walk, um, and when or at least when when I look at a dad, when when I look at my dad, when I look at Pastor Dan, when I look at Tom, when I look at Tim, when I look at all of these dads I've had through through my life, um, they have never given up on me. They're always extremely patient, and the almonds guys are good for your heart because I know, especially the dads with daughters, we cause a lot of heartache. That's a joke, you can laugh at it. <laughs> um, so I got you guys trail mix, so I, and even when the bag is empty, every time you have some trail mix, just remember the journey is long, but you guys are kind of helping to pave the way for us that are coming after you. 
Amen. So I love you all, and I'm going to give you trim. I'm so sorry, I almost dropped it on you.
two pieces of kind of that I want you to see before we even kind of start today and go to the scripture. The first one is, uh, I love it when the Bible just clearly and obviously talks to anybody who would listen. There are scriptures that it's clear, it's definitely true, that they are for kingdom of God participants. Okay, so for example, our key verse, First uh, John 1, 3, we proclaim what we have seen and heard. That is talking about Christians telling other Christians and also non-Christians about what we have seen God do, that they might come and have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with God the Son, or God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's really a Christian kind of verse, you know what I'm saying? But there are times when it is clear and obvious that Jesus or the writer of a given book or one of the prophets is speaking literally to everybody that's present, not just Jesus people, not just kingdom of God people, not just the, the freaks that love Jesus so much that they would die for him, uh, which really ought to probably be all of us, but not just those folks, but literally everybody that's listened. The text that we're going to read today, which is often not really noticed as being one of those, is one of those. So I'm pointing that out to you now. So when we go to the Bible, we don't have a long text. Total, the total scripture that we have today is not particularly long. We're going to read one that's a little bit longer, but to, altogether, it's not, not very long. But when we read this text, I want you to remember, and you'll see very clearly, that this is one of those texts that obviously, and I'll point out to you why when we get there, speaks literally to everyone, not just Christians. And then a story to kind of highlight the text. So uh, when I was a teenager, and you may have ex had similar experiences, I was kind of afraid of being alone at night in the dark. When I, when I was about 12, uh, my mom told me to go out and take the garbage to the curb. It was a pretty regular occurrence that we had to take the garbage to the curb, and we usually did it during the day while it was still light outside. And she told me to go outside and take the garbage to the curb. And as I went outside the door, I'm thinking, I'm going outside in the dark by myself. Now, yeah, we all know that there really isn't anything there in the dark that's not there in the light. We all know that if someone's coming, even in the dark, unless it's pitch black dark, you can see them from some distance away. I mean, there might be shadows in the bushes and things, but I was one of those kids, not a Christian kid, didn't know God, didn't have the Holy Spirit except possibly convicting me of my sin, and I was pretty afraid of what lurked in the shadows. My parents had left me home a couple of times when they had gone to auctions and things on a Saturday night or a Friday night, and... Um, and I had gone through the house, closet after closet after closet, every hour on the hour, looking into the deep, dark place of the closet in case something had snuck into the shadows or came from the shadows by some means. That's, that's the kind of fear that I had, right? So then she said, go out and take the garbage to the curb. And I'm going out, and, and just as I get ready to go outside and take the garbage to the curb, the light bulb on the front porch light blew. And the front yard sunk into deep darkness. For the better part of my childhood, the light that was on the corner, that's on the right front of our house, the street light, was burnt out. The city of Northwood was not coming to replace the light, and they hadn't done so for years. And so, and this was before my neighbor, Mr. Heldy, at that time, had put up his security light. And so if you can imagine, what my, the end, if you've ever been there, what the end of my block would look like without a street light, without a security light, and without a porch light, it was dark. It wasn't just dark in the bushes. It was dark all the way to the trash can, all the way to the road, and all the way back into the little umbrella of light that was coming out through the screen door. And I said, I, I told my mom, I said, I don't want to do it. And she said, well, you take the garbage cans out all the time. What's the problem? And I said, 
I don't want to go out in the dark. And she said, nothing's there that's not there during the daytime. You're just going to get the garbage can and take it to the road. Just go do it. She said, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go out in the dark, dark. It was dark, you know, probably overcast. I don't want to go out in the dark, dark. There could be someone or something there. And I said, well, I could trip. I could step on something. And she said, that's not what you're afraid of. You can see your feet all the way. You'll be able to see your feet all the way there and all the way back. And I said, Mom, I'm just afraid of what might be in the dark. And she said to me, I will stand here at the door and watch. And if anything gets you, I will save you. I will protect you which did not waylay my fears at all, because at the moment that something comes out of the dark and gets me, I really don't, I'm not real trusting that my mom is going to rush out the door. My, you know, my mom had a, quite a bit of spit and venom, but I wasn't real trusting that she was going to rush out the door and save me before it could drag me off to wherever I was thinking I might wind up when whatever was going to come out might come out. But it was my mom, and she threatened me with a number of punishments, and finally, I went and got the garbage can and took it to the curb. I want you to bear that story in mind as we look at this short text today. Um, grab your Bibles, if you would, and go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Can I get an amen? amen? Can I get a who to holler something? This is God's word. It's not a long piece, but it's there and it's powerful. Here we go, Matthew 7. I'm going to begin reading to you. Uh, if you're not following along, I'll be reading to you. And if you are following along, I will be reading with you. I'm going to be, begin reading in verse 11. So Matthew 7, 11. Bible historians, those who've done a little studying, whatever, realize that we are right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which means that there is a huge crowd gathered. While there are no microphones, historians believe that there was an amphitheater there. When Jesus spoke, he spoke not much louder than I did, and it carried to thousands of people perfectly clearly. You go, if you ever get the opportunity to go to the Middle East, there are a couple of these amphitheaters along um, the Sea of Galilee and that may, I think even the Dead Sea and you can, where you can stand and your voice can be heard hundreds of yards away very clearly. So Jesus is speaking to this mass gathering of people in verse 11. And he says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him. And it, and it is a verse that is packed with good promises, obviously, but we're going to break it down for one second. Notice that he says, if you then being evil. So right away we want to go, well, obviously he's talking to the bad people in the crowd, but the reality is, if you just kind of be honest with yourself, there's a part of you that resonates with that statement. It wants what it wants, regardless of what anybody else wants. Now, if you're a Christian, obviously you have, you're attempting to allow God to divorce your desires from your actions. So you're not chasing after all the things that you might chase after if you didn't know God. Realize that there are Christians in the audiences. They're, you know, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Pentecost hasn't come yet, but there are people who have believed in Jesus who are here in the audience. And, and they might have gone, I'm not even like that person over there, you know. But the truth is in their heart, they knew, just like we do, that we have some some places that we would go, that our darkness would take us if we allowed it. Certainly Jesus then would be lumping in those people who do not know him, who had not followed him, who are still debating about whether to follow him. And certainly he would be lumping in those hip hypocritical people who were present, who really had no intention of following him, but they were trying to poke, pick apart what he was saying. So this statement of whoever is evil is everybody. It's literally everybody present. And while you might think of yourself as a good person, and you might actually be righteous in Christ, we get our righteousness from Jesus, 
want you to understand that you still have, hopefully kept at bay, but you still have evil desires. And so this statement would apply to all of us. He said, if you then, being evil, okay, know how to give good gifts to your children. So notice that those who are evil, that would be everybody, have an inherent ability to do two things. Number one, they know the difference between a good gift and an evil gift. So they're able to discern a certain amount of what is good and what is bad. Number two, they're able to give what they have discerned as a good gift to those who come behind them, to their children. This, is, this would apply to men, to women, to uh, grandparents, to aunts and uncles, to uh, older brothers and sisters, whatever. They know how to give good gifts. So even though you may have human desires, you may not be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but even so, even though you have those evil desires, you nonetheless know the difference between a good gift and a bad gift, and you know how to give the good gift. That's what Jesus has said, and it applies to everybody. I also know that there are people who give their children or the next generation bad things too. doesn't mean they don't know how to give good things. Jesus says that those who are evil know how to discern good from bad and know how to give good things. And we'll come back to those points in a moment. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So what's implied in that statement, that if an evil person knows how to give good things, then a good person surely not only knows how to give good things, but will always choose to give good things, right? So they want to do good, they want to give the positive, and God is like that. While some people may be, some other people may not be, one person might be at one time and might not be at another time, there is no shadow of turning with God. He desires to give good gifts. He is able to discern good gifts. Even we can do that. And he is able to give good gifts. Even we can do that. But he chooses to give good gifts because he is good. So you can count on God in the worst of times. Let me say it this way. You can count on God even in the moment when you are in sin. Even in the moment when you are giving in to your temptation. Even in the moment when you are failing to give a good gift to your whoever's coming after you, even in that moment when you are not doing what you are capable of, you can still count on God to give good. Sometimes giving good is discipline. It is not good to train your child to be a sociopath. It is not good to train your child to be disrespectful of all authority. It is not good to train your child to be all over the map trying to figure out who they are, to have self-esteem issues, all these kinds of things. Those are not good things. So if you are doing those things, you can expect God to give the good gift, and that good gift is discipline. And God will chastise, and God chastises all those whom he loves. So God is always going to give a good gift. He's always going to make that which is, even that which seems the worst at the time, turn out for the best. Jesus goes on to illustrate his point. Okay? So he says uh, in 11, If then you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who asked him? Therefore, because this is true, listen, this is the real point. What we just read is more an argument. You being evil know how to give good. How much more will God always give good? Therefore, because that is true, 
accordingly, it's a hina in the Greek, it means accordingly, or it follows that, it's logical that, it makes sense in the spirit, it makes sense in God's way, it makes sense with the law. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. I'll break it down. First of all, does anybody recognize it? It's called the golden rule, right? It's quoted and misquoted a variety of ways in a variety of secular contexts. And basically, notice it says, treat them, treat others the way you would want them, the way you want them to treat you, not the way they treat you, right? So in other words, if someone is looking down on you, that does not mean you should look down on them. If someone is hurting you, it does not mean you should hurt them. If someone is letting you down, disappointing you, it does not mean you should disappoint them. If someone has done something that you don't like and it falls upon your ears, it registers in your mind, it does not mean that you should go and do something you don't like. It does not mean you should go and do something they don't like. If someone has hurt you, it does not mean that you should give them the silent treatment until they figure out that they have hurt you. You say, well, not talking to them, that's not a sin, right? Well, according to this, it is. It says you should treat others the way you want them to treat you. That is the command. Notice that the command is founded on the principle, which was you know how, you know the difference between good and evil when it comes to giving good gifts to where? To those who come after you. So this is about the people that are following you. This is about the people that are watching you, the people that follow your example. You want your children to follow a positive example. The example that you set, therefore, should be that you treat others the way you would want them to treat you. Even if they don't treat you that way. Because the command is written in the kind of verb context that says you start now and you never stop. Start treating others the way you would want them to treat you, regardless of what they do. He doesn't say that, but it's clearly implied. Regardless of what they do, treat them the way you would want them to treat you because you know how to give good gifts to those who come after you, and God surely knows how to give good gifts and will good gifts, give good gifts. Therefore, treat others the way you would have them to treat you. And then he goes on to say, and I love this, this is profound because then this brings it over to Christians. So if you think you could get away with it, right? So we're being persecuted as a Christian, mistreated, whatever. So you think you can get away with doing something other than, so like, for example, you're going to not share the gospel and tell people what they really need to know because if you do that, they're going to hate you, despise you, get mad at you, not invite you, whatever, persecute you. So you think you can, well, I'm just not going to tell them about Jesus so that won't happen. But that's ruled out because if you were lost and going to hell and knew it, you would want them to share the gospel with you, right? So you have to treat them the way that, they, and when they persecute you, that does not change the command. And then he goes on to say very clearly how it applies to those who believe in the Lord. He says, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, real quick, just a little side action point. I don't know if you ever noticed this or not, but the Ten Commandments are essentially divided down into kind of two sections. Some allege 
that the Ten Commandments may have been on two tablets, and some of the commandments were on one, and some were on the other. We don't actually know that. We weren't there when Moses carved the first set. Now, the set, who carved the second set? I'm sorry, when God carves the first set, Moses carved the second set. Maybe I'm thinking, you know, God planned ahead, and he laid them out beautifully on the tablets, and then Moses sort of kind of messed it up and thought it would be five and five, but he ran out of room on the first one, had to squeeze in the second six. I don't know how it went. You don't know. I don't know. We weren't there. But some people hypothesize that might be true, and they are essentially about our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. That's the Ten Commandments. But notice, it's not just the Ten Commandments about our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. When this was written, you know what the Bible was, right? It was considered to be the Law and the Prophets. It's the Bible. So basically, the Bible that they had, they're saying the whole Bible is summed up like this. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. Now, I assume we can understand that. It's not really complex. What would you like me to say to you? How would you like me to behave? Now, if you say, well, I'd like you to give me a bunch of money because I desire money, well, now that's another problem altogether, right? Because that's a human desire. It's not talking about that. We're talking about what's healthy, what's good, what's letting good gifts. A good gift is not give somebody everything that they want. That's not a good gift because all you're doing is you're stemming up the desire in them so hard that when you can no longer meet that, they're going to have to go elsewhere and meet it, like an addiction, for example, and they're going to need to go elsewhere and meet it, and they're going to go meet it. And it's going to get ugly while they try to meet it, and they may destroy themselves and others, and certainly those who follow them. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. We're almost done with the text. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. So the whole Bible is summed up in this. Treat others the way you would want them to treat you. Verse 13. He goes on to say, notice that if you're reading in your Bible and you're following along, there's a little sub thing there, right? It tells you, okay, we're going to talk about a different topic. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked about a lot of different topics. He did not say, hey, right here is a change in topic. Right? He didn't say, I'm going to stop now and have a snack and come back and talk for a minute. Right? There was no change in topic. There was no verse numbers. Right? So 12 bleeds right into 13. For this is the law and the prophets. Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. In other words, narrow it down, practice control, do everything you can to be, if there is a wide road and a narrow road, be on the narrow road. Remember that which he just said, treat others as you would have them treat themselves. That is the sum of the law and the prophets. And so we need to take the command, treat others as you would have them to treat you, and narrow it down, get precise, really get after it. Do it as hard as you possibly can. Drive home that one single point in your life. Let it be the guiding principle that guides you. Remember, that is founded on the idea that we know what is good and what is evil. We can give good gifts to the next generation. We can give good gifts to those who follow us. And God knows good from evil and will give good, period, <laughs> right? Because he's good, right? It's founded on that. And then he says, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. See how easy it is? It's so easy when you go out and try to love somebody, when you go out and try to serve somebody, when you try to be gentle or kind to someone, and they respond with something you don't like. It doesn't have to be that they hurt you. They could just be withdrawing. They could just be, nah, they don't receive it. I don't receive that. I don't want to hear about Jesus or whatever. And yet, we have no excuse, he says, for enter by the narrow gate. Walk the tight path. 
right? So there are a lot of injustices in the world, and we should stand up against injustice. Wherever you are, there is an injustice in your geographical presence. Stand up against it, period, because we are a people of justice, and God is a God of justice. But that being said, understand, that is not our priority. That is the num- not the number one thing we're supposed to be doing. The greatest injustice is that people are going to hell, that sin is running rampant, that people who literally do know how to give good gifts to their children are instead giving bad gifts. So the injustice that we must stand up for more and above all is the death and hell that awaits those who do not recognize Jesus Christ, John 3.18. They are condemned already by what they have done with the Son of God. Can you browbeat them? Can you be rude to them? Can you be mean to them? Can you come up with quick little quips about how ignorant they are on social media? You can't do any of that. You have to treat them the way that they would want to be treated. Why? Because don't, God will never fail. He will give the good gifts. And if you treat them in a way that is not how you would want to be treated, then the good gift that you have coming is discipline and chastisement. Because you will not only be against what you know you can do, which is to treat others good, but on top of that, you will be against all the law and all the prophets. We always say, you know, if someone's doing something wrong, you can't go smack them with your Bible. And it's metaphorical, meaning you can't just bring out verses and kind of preach at them and tell them what they have to stop doing, right? Hear me now. The God of heaven, if he so chooses, he can smack you with your Bible. Not only figuratively speaking, but he literally can trample your life in the dirt because you have spit on the word of God. And that applies to believers and non-believers alike. There are people that, I don't understand why it never works out. I always do all the right things. I've had budgeting courses. I know finances. I work really hard on my job. And, I, and they're persecuted and everything continues to fall apart. And they never can line it up. And then finally they go, I'm just, whatever, fine. I'm going to try Jesus. It's all I have left. I really have nothing left. I'm just going to try Jesus. And they try Jesus. They go, hey, I kind of like Jesus. This is kind of good, right? And their life turns around. And now, while still things go wrong, suffering continues. We always have difficulty. They never feel that last ditch, I'm out of options despair because they can always go to jesus they always have jesus and not only that but they have a job to do which is the ministry of reconciliation he says enter by the narrow gate get on that very narrow path ironically some of the people that he were talking was talking to were pharisees and you may or may not be familiar but the pharisees had written a couple of things and they had what was called their oral law and they had all these traditions that had nothing to do with the word of God and they were all to keep them from breaking the word of God. So I'm just going to give you one sample. On the Sabbath day, a man was only allowed to walk a certain number of steps. Anything more than that would be considered work and you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. That was one of their laws. Now you won't find that anywhere in the Old Testament. It's just rules that they made to keep from breaking the rule that says keep the Sabbath day holy, right? Also, They determined that there was a certain weight a person could carry outside their garments before it was considered work. And so they wrote in their written law, outside the Bible, it's not in the Bible anywhere, it has nothing to do with what the Bible says. They wrote in their written law that if at the end of the day, at the end of the Sabbath, a man should find a pin in the hem of his garment, left over from when it was made or hemmed or something like that, if he should find a pin in the hem of his garment, that that was considered work and he was considered unclean and had to make special sacrifices because he unknowingly carried that pin around, which is more weight, thereby being work on the Sabbath day. Now, all those rules were written to protect the Sabbath day command, which actually did come from God, right? So Jesus says, take the narrow gate. 
right? He says, narrow it down, get specific. Do just exactly what God would have you to do, which backs up to treat others as you would be treated. But in the process of narrowing down their walk, they had all these rules and things, and they really had narrowed it down. In fact, they were really good at figuring out exactly what everybody should do. They had it nailed. Except they forgot the key point that all the law and the prophets hinge on, which is treat others the way you would want to be treated. But at the end of the day, they could go, you know, slaughter a beast because they found a pin in their hem. They could slaughter a beast because they had to take three extra steps on uh, on the Sabbath day. Three extra steps. But they forgot that God is love. And they had removed love from their life. Now, they hadn't done it on purpose. They had done it during the normal pursuit of things. Working, being busy, maybe making the world a better place. And they had removed love from the equation while narrowing down the way. So you know what happens if you have a narrow way and you narrow down the way, but the way that you narrow down to is not the actual way you're supposed to be on. You've created a new road. And Jesus was quoted as saying, you go to the ends of the earth to make one convert to Judaism and then make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. Because the law and the prophets come down to love. As evidenced, I understand, through Jesus Christ. But this text speaks not only to Christians, it speaks to non-Christians. Enter by the narrow gate, he says. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. In other words, a lot of folks are on the road. And I I submit to you, he's saying a lot of folks are on the road to heaven. They're going to be with God. That's where they're trying to go. But actually, they're on the wider portion of the road. They have not narrowed the road down to to simplify it, to make it about one thing, to make it about God, if you will. They have a, they're on a wider road, and they're on the road to destruction. Many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. So be on the road, you get there and go, oh, I can't find the gate. Because you forgot. Because you got distracted. Because your weaving your life together became something more, something new, something different. Beware false prophets, he goes on to say, who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We'll stop there with the text for the day in Matthew, and I want you to see a few things out of this text. I hope you already saw them. I hope the Spirit already spoke to you on this. The first thing in there is that you, I, can discern the good gift from the bad. Regardless of whether you're saved or not, whether you have truly called Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or not. Whether you have said, okay, God, I'm yours. Take the rest of my life and I'm living for you. I forgive you of my sins and here I go. This is the remainder of my journey and it's yours, God. Whether you've done that or not, you have been given inherently the ability. Psalm 8 says this, that in, from the womb, from the womb, in the mouths of babes, from the womb, that we have been given the ability to, to turn back the enemy. To put them down. Human beings are imbued with the capability of doing good and also of doing evil. It's it's part of being like God, right? Adam and Eve ate the knowledge of the tree of uh, the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From that moment, they had the ability to discern between the two, but they chose the wrong one because they also had fleshly desires and so on. In shame, they hid. 
You can discern the good gift from the bad. You are capable of doing that. He gave a couple of examples. If a child asks you for bread, will you give them a stone? That was before what we read. If a child asks you for a fish, will you give them a serpent? Clearly, no. If so, you are that sociopath that we, were, that we casually mentioned. And you need to repent and turn to God. If you would do that, if a young child, a young man, or someone coming after you would come up to you and ask you for something good, and you would instead give them something bad, you say, well, I would never do that. I would never do that. I submit to you that we must be careful to say I would never do that. Because it, it might just happen that a child comes up and asks you for whatever at a moment of time that it's particularly inconvenient for you to do that. And you wind up chastising them for asking. They may come up and say, may I please have a sandwich? And you're like, no, you got to wait for your dinner. I've told you a million times you got to wait for your dinner. Stop asking me. I'm trying to watch my show. I'm trying to fix the car. I'm trying to pay bills, right? But be careful. We wouldn't give a child that asked for a fish a serpent, but we sure might give a child that asked for encouragement a barb. And it's the same thing. You know that's not what they need. But notice that he's not commanding giving good gifts. That's not what this text is about, is it? He's just saying that we can discern the difference between good gifts and bad. That's all. In fact, he goes on to say, and you wouldn't, right? You wouldn't give. So he's even saying that we wouldn't. He is giving us some credit in our character that we would not give bad for good. He's not even saying don't give bad for good. He's saying you wouldn't. And then he goes on to say in the second point that he, God, knows how to give good or bad, but only gives good. We, like God, know how to give. Notice there's a little phrase there, how to give. There is a way to give, right? Because if somebody needs something, let's say, uh, if you were dealing with somebody who was a drug addict, let's say, and they come to you and they say, you know, I gotta get, I, I'm clean, I've been clean for months, but I got to get to work tomorrow and I need, and all this week, and I need a tank of gas. And you say, that's no problem, I'll take care of it. Hand them a $50 bill. That is not how you give. That is a mistake. Because you have put a stumbling block or a temptation in the line of that person. What am I going to do with this $50 bill? Now, you feel generous. You feel gentle. You feel kind. You feel gracious because that's your $50 bill. You feel like God, the giver of good gifts. But actually, if you care about the person that you are giving the gift to, you discern not only what gift they need, but also how to give the gift. How best can this be handled, right? If you really cared about that person, you'd buy them the gas that they need and put it in their car. Or you'd say, you know, I can't buy you gas because I don't have the money, but here's what, I got gas in my car, so I'll take you to work all week. You're like, wow, that's a lot of work now. I got to do all this work. But there are times when that's the right move. And investing in somebody, encouraging them, tarry with them. We know how to give good gifts and we know how to give good gifts. Accordingly, then, he says, because that is true, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want to be treated. I say, you want to be recognized as a person. You want a measure of respect. You want people to look you in the eye, to be kind. When you have a real need, you want somebody to step up and take care of it. 
When you just have a psychological or social need of, for encouragement, you want somebody to psychologically or socially encourage you, and so on. When you're about to do the wrong thing, you want somebody to say, hey, I think that might be a mistake, in a loving way, right? Not just, hey, you're an idiot. What are you thinking? You know, but uh, can, I, can I speak with you for a minute? You know, it occurs to me, if you do that, this might be the outcome. Are we sure we want to take that risk? Is there some way I can help you find a better plan? Is something different we can do? You want somebody to come alongside of you and care about you. And that's what the people of the world want. I don't think that human beings, one to another, are really all that different. Now, I, I understand we're absolutely unique, but when it comes to what we want, I don't think we're really all that different. When somebody comes up, gets up in your face, gets a little too close, says something you don't like, how do you feel about that? Well, you're going to go one of two places, aren't you? Either you're going to be mad and do something about it, or you're going to be dejected. You're going to be like, man, I'm crushed. It depends on who the person was and how they approached it. The bottom line is people have a hierarchy of needs and those needs need to be fulfilled in order for them to feel okay. You have them, I have them. You need to realize people have them and that in the moment that you're encountering them, you don't actually know what they are. But even though you don't know what that person's actual need is, you do know the basic needs of a human being. So you can respect them. You can say kind words. You can use appropriate language to make them feel encouraged, right? In everything, treat people the same way you want them to be treated. This gets deep here in just one second, so hang on. Here we go. Jesus says, try harder. Now, it's interesting because can you really get on the narrow road? Do you really know where the narrow road is? It's imagery, isn't it? I mean, it's not a literal road that we walk on on the ground. There's no line like there used to be in those bank commercials or whatever for investors, Right? We have to try to find the narrow road. We were talking about this this morning in the car on the way here. It's the difference between God's permissible will. God basically says, now you're saved, you're mine. Anything's not sin, you're okay. Do whatever you want. That's true. That's a fact. You're not going to lose your salvation. You're going to go to heaven anyway. Do whatever you want as long as it's not sin. That's the permissible will of God. Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about the perfect will of God. He's talking about getting down to the nitty-gritty and figuring out what is it that God wants you to do. How important is it? He says, enter through the narrow gate. For, and if I may paraphrase, there are a lot of people think they're going to go in, and they aren't. Because the road they think they're on, they have identified it as the one that takes them where they want to go, and the truth is, it isn't. It's the road that leads to destruction. If you're following along in your Bibles, we have one, uh, one text we're going to read, and it's back in uh, Deuteronomy. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, which I affectionately call the Duke. And it is in chapter 7, and it begins in verse 1. And uh, Michael and Jamie will probably recognize this passage of Scripture because it spoke to me on Tuesday night when we were studying. We had a good Bible study um, we're doing. We're studying through the book of uh, Malachi, and it's been powerful. Deuteronomy seven, beginning of verse one. 
When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and shall clear away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Parasites, and the Hivites, or the Hivites, and the Jebusites, or the Jebusites, whatever, however you want to say it, seven uh, nations greater and stronger than you. So God's going to clear away seven nations greater and stronger than them. And when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, and shall defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. That means wipe them out. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them and you shall not give your daughters their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. Hold on, listen to this. And he will quickly destroy you. You see it? If you do not do what God has given you to do, the way Jesus is describing it, get on the narrow way. You could still be living, right? But if you do not get on the narrow way so that you are giving a good gift to the next generation, that good gift, which is an opportunity to be pure for the Lord, to be purely for God, only for the Lord, to not drift off after idols and other things that people think are important. Right? An idol can be anything that you put up there on a pedestal, and even remotely close to God. So video gaming, camping, traveling, saving, all those things can become idols. They're all good things, but they can all become idols very easily if they start to become important. And you could go on all, all that list. There's more things on the idol list than there is on the American Disabilities Act list, and that's a pretty long list, right? There's a, anything can become an idol. And so if you can't give a good gift to your children that allows them to stay clean, it says, and he will quickly destroy, and, and I'm waiting for him to say, your kids, right? Because they went and got married and they started idol worshiping. So he's going to destroy your kids because they're not serving. You're still serving God, but you've not set the path and done it right so that they can still be serving God. So it's, it doesn't say that God will come and destroy them. It says God will destroy you. You will be destroyed because you didn't do, right? Because you didn't walk the narrow path. What was specifically commanded? But thus you shall do to them, you shall tear down their altars. In other words, you're going to go out there and you're going to remove those things that could become idols. From whose life? From your kid's life? No. From your life. You're going to remove those things from your life that could become idols. I'm going to say to you, and the Spirit says this to me, and I know it's caustic, it's painful and like that, that there is someone here in this room that, for example, plays video games. And I'm not harping on any one thing. It could be other games. It could be a hobby. You do something, whatever. But I'm just going to give you an example that plays video games. And it is not a sin for you to do so. But what you don't see happening is your child is watching you. And one day, you have God and video games, and they will just have video games. There is someone in this room who's making a good living, they're working hard and not spending that much time with their family because they're working hard. And it might not be their kids even, but somebody's watching them. It could be your wife, it could be your husband, it could be your neighbor kid, the kid that lives next door to your house. And they see you going away all the time and never home. And and you have God and your income. But they will have only their income. 
And when that happens, kid yourself not, you are the one who will pay. I am not making it up. God said it. People are looking at you. You're like, they don't have a right to look at me. Treat them the way you would want to be treated. How do you think they would want to be treated? Well, if they're looking at you, they're waiting for leadership. They're waiting for an example. They're waiting for you to move them in the right direction. So how do you treat them the way you want to be treated? Well, you respectfully say, I know people are looking at me, and you behave in a way that when they see what they see, they can be led closer to God. You cut the possible idols out of your life so that the next generation won't have a multiple-choice question that's 55 items long, and one of them is God. Everybody here knows how to take a test, right? How do you do it? You work your way through the wrong answers and eliminate them all, and then the one that's left is the right answer. You'll always get more correct answers on a test if you first eliminate all the wrong answers and then select the right one. Guess what our kids are going to do? Guess what our neighbors are going to do? Guess what our friends who are coming behind, people who are watching us, looking at us, guess what they're going to do? They're going to eliminate all the wrong answers first, except guess what happens? The enemy has already plotted a course where while you eliminate the wrong answer, you get through through 35 wrong answers, and then you go, oh, but actually, have have you ever lost your car keys? How many times did you search your your pants pockets? Just once? If you searched just once your pants pocket when you lost your car keys, you are much more disciplined than I am. You're like, but I already know they're not in my pants pocket. But that's where I thought I put them. And you search three times, five times, and three or five times they will go back to those pursuits, those things that do not lead to heaven. And they'll go again thinking they will find something there. And they will never get around to, we never get around to, we would never have gotten around to except that God orchestrated it so. Jesus Christ becoming Lord and Master. You cannot do that to those who are watching you. Someone's coming behind you. You must cut the idols from your life to, give, to let them know, to help them see that that is not a viable option. Verse 5 says, but, those you shall do, but thus you shall do to them, you shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, hew down their ashram, burn their graven images with fire. Verse 6, this is why. For because you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers... The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. You follow God. You cut the idols out of your life. You treat other people the way you would want to be treated. And you do that primarily because someone is following you. And those who are following you, they need to know how to do exactly what we're talking about today. And if your life is 80% doing exactly what we're talking about today, 
then there is a 20% chance, and I'm guaranteeing you because the enemy is act actively at work, it's probably a much larger percentage chance than that, that those who are watching you, those who are following you, those who are coming after you will choose the 20% rather than the 80%. And let's be greatly realistic. Do you really want to risk the possibility that your great-grandchildren will have no gospel witness to hear about Jesus? No, you don't. You say, well, I might not have children. Do you really want to risk the possibility that your entire neighborhood, everybody on your block for starting one generation from now has nobody to tell them about Jesus? Jesus would say, walk the narrow way. Treat people the way you would want to be treated. Give good gifts like you know how to do. You can discern them and you know how to give them. Is it messy? Sure. And you know how to clean up those messes because your life was messy too. You're like, but I don't ever want to deal with a messy life again. Well, walking the narrow way, your life is not going to be messy, but you're going to have to invite people into your life that are messy and the whole thing's going to start looking kind of messy for a while and you can help them clean it up. Because you've already been there. You've already done it. You've already crossed that threshold. If indeed you are a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, you know that the way to solve these problems, the way to finally learn to treat others the way they want to be treated, to truly do that is to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to live a life of faithfulness. But notice, it isn't your kids that are on the line. I know we want to say that, and it might even be a greater motivator for us to go, man, I can't imagine my kid not, or my kid choosing this over God. I don't ever want to see that happen. It's actually you that are on the line. And we all have a need for self-preservation. Because he said, when your kids take wives from the locals and they begin to worship the false gods, God will surely come and destroy you. So you can think all day long that you are living faithfully for the Lord. But if you are not walking the narrow way, treating others the way they would be treated, giving those good gifts that you know how to give, if you're not serving, loving, practicing the fruits of the spirits against which there is no law, if you're not doing those things, then you need to understand you're jeopardizing your next generation. And if you're jeopardizing the next generation, you're jeopardizing every generation that comes after that. And if you're jeopardizing every generation that comes after that, you are already in line for destruction yourself. Not my words, but God's. I'll tell you one recent illustration and we'll be through. We got to take our first bike ride ever. I went outside, I pumped up the tires of the bike, they held air. I was pleased with that. Ariana's bike already had air in the tire. She rides it around the street and so on. And so it was Daddy Day Thursday. We do that on my Sabbath. I spend time with Ariana and we do things together and we sometimes we pray together, sometimes we study together, sometimes we do projects together. We just whatever the Lord leads and so we decided we were going to take a bike trip. So the bike trip was we left our house. We went down to Molly's house, dropped off some papers. And then from there, we left and we went through the back field and we walked our bikes because she can't ride in the grass yet. She has training wheels on her bike still, but she doesn't really, I don't know if she needs the training wheels, but they're still there. Went across the shopping center parking lot to McDonald's. So as we go across the shopping center parking lot, we had to leave the sidewalk for the first time ever and drive across a busy parking lot. She's six. And I said to her, I said, stay right behind me. I said, I could have her in front of me, but I didn't want to risk that, that she would turn the wrong way or whatever. I said, just stay, the best way to do it, stay right behind me. Just follow me perfectly. Don't get too close. 
And she, I, she said, is this about far enough? I said, yes. And she said, just stay. Don't go left or right. Just stay right behind me. I'm like, yep, just stay right behind me. Just follow right behind me. And I kept looking on my shoulder, make sure she was there, not getting too far behind, not going left or right, whatever. And we went up there, and there were some cars. And I said, okay, we're going to stop. There's cars coming. We're going to stop. And she had a hard time stopping. I had to help her stop. And then and the whole way to McDonald's, she stayed right behind me. Was I a little nervous? Yes. I'm praying, God, please don't let anything happen. She stayed right behind me. There's somebody right behind me. Just follow me. Just follow me. So we go, and we go to McDonald's, and we ordered our lunch, and we couldn't eat in McDonald's. So we went outside, we sat on the little grass under the tree, on the curb, and we ate our lunch. And, and then we finished lunch, and we got up on our bikes, and we, we walked our bikes across McDonald's parking lot, across Woodville Road, and then once we got away, we followed the sidewalk, and we went down and went as far as, that's, old, that's uh, New Wales Road there, and we walked our bikes across Wales, and we drove our cr- bikes across the Meyer parking lot. I said, just follow me, just follow me, stay right behind me. Don't go faster, don't go slower, just stay right behind me. And she did. And there were cars that came, and we had to navigate, and they saw us, and they waited and things, and we parked the bike, and we walked to the store, and we bought a couple things, we took a little backpack with us, we got back, and we were on the bikes, went up in the park behind, uh, behind Bay Park there, and we went into the hills, and we found a little seat, and we ate a snack, uh, and drank a drink, and drank a drink, and then we went back, and we crossed another busy road, and we crossed Frisch's Park, and we crossed Woodville Road, and every time we got off and walked our bikes, it's just they, when we walked our bikes, we got off and walked our bikes, I had her walk right next to me so we weren't strung out going across the intersection because those lights come and they walk now, don't walk now, you know, like two seconds later, don't walk now. And so we got across every street safe and got back home. And I'm like, oh, thank you, God, we made it. And God said to me, Dan, there's always somebody following you. Why haven't you been going, stay right with me? Don't go left or right. Why, why haven't, and, and, and there were times where I had to take just the right road. You know, I had to take just the right road to not go out in front of a car. I, had, I couldn't go faster. Sometimes I might go, I'm going to go faster and get where I'm getting so that the cars will go behind me. I couldn't do that because I'd be leaving her behind. I couldn't abruptly go slower to stop from going in front of a car because she would have run into me because she's not very good at braking yet. And God said, why, why are you living your life about you Getting to heaven. There's always somebody following you. You should be looking back and making sure they're making it. You should be looking back and going, encouraging them constantly. You can't make them do anything, but you can be encouraging them constantly. And if they know how to give good gifts, if they can discern good from evil too, then until they become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, they can choose to take the right path. And then, and then once they're no longer innocent, and they're in sin, and they're doing the bad things, and Jesus will make them born again, and then, then they can get there. God said, there's always somebody following you. And i got to tell you, I've been about 100% sure that I'm going to heaven for well over a decade for sure. I remember when Alicia was a baby, and she was dancing with some friends at a costume party that we went to, which was actually a wedding reception, a costume party that we went to. And I prayed, God, help me. I, I have no idea how to be a father. God, I'm, I'm so afraid that I'll screw this up. And he said to me, God said to me audibly in my head, he said, don't worry about this one. I've got her. And I took that to mean the road might get bumpy, but God was going to take care of it. And then I've tried and now I realize that quite often I've failed, but I've tried to live as if there was someone following me. I'm asking you today. I'm not asking you to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, so that you will go to heaven, although surely you need to do that. If you have not, that absolutely has to be true. 
but I'm asking you to live as if someone is following you and their salvation, which in turn means your salvation, depends upon it. Please, consider treating others the way you would want to be treated. Giving good gifts to that next generation, which largely means if you know where you're going, then your life should be about where you're going. Stop putting things in your life that can be... You're like, it'll never become an idol. It won't be a problem. I'll never let it become an idol. Maybe not. God says, take the things that could become an idol out so that it'll never become an idol for the next generation. Let me pray for you, and then we'll be through. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this word. We... We are truly grateful for the concept of permissible will. That we can literally do anything we want that's not sin after we get saved and not lose our salvation. We are truly grateful for the ministry of reconciliation, which is to say that we can, we are allowed, we're able, we're empowered to go and tell somebody about it. Have them accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and be transformed and be eternally on the road to heaven and in heaven and live eternally with you. We are grateful for those gifts and others like them. Sometimes we look at the words in the Bible and we think, well, that's not really for us anymore because we're Christians. Or we think that really is for us and not really for the world because they're not Christians and they really need to hear that. This is one of those texts, Lord, that's deeply convicting because it applies to every one of us and we are praying, God, now for anyone who might be in this room who has not genuinely accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would have impressed upon their heart just how serious this matter is. And then, Lord, that you would do it for every person who disagreed with that prayer. That we would have an impress upon our heart just how serious that we might be noble men and women living our lives the best we possibly can. That we have allowed things to be in our lives that we'll never let be an idol in our life. But we have no control over whether it becomes an idol in the lives of coming generations. So Lord, let us look at our lives and under your guidance and under your leadership and because you love us and are a giver of good gifts, help us to restrain or to completely cut out those things that could be idols so that we can walk the straight and narrow path with you. We realize that even in the flesh we are able to give good gifts and that is a good gift we can give the next generation to just teach our children, teach people who watch us, our neighbors' children, whatever, to be the best people they can and to treat others the way they want to be treated. And that would be completely outside of Christ that we could be encouraged to do that. But we are not outside of Christ. Those of us who have accepted you as Lord and Savior now realize that our narrow road living is absolutely necessary not only for our children but that when our children would stray and choose something an alternative to you that we can be held responsible God help us 
make us strong. If there is someone here who needs to repent of a specific sin, Lord, then help them do that by turning to you. Not by turning from that sin to some other, or by turning from that sin for a period of time, but by turning to you. If there is someone here who has not accepted you as Lord and Savior, then right now, in their hearts, Lord, just let them know that you are certainly ready. Have been for thousands of years. And that if they would just believe and accept and tell somebody, as it says we confess with our mouth, and if they would just tell somebody that they are now a follower, that they now believe in you, that they now trust you, that they would be saved. And God, we are living in challenging times. We would be remiss if we didn't pray for government leaders, people who are responding to the injustice of our day. We didn't pray to rebuke the possibility of COVID, the coronavirus across the country. What if we didn't go out to fight hunger and poverty and loneliness and hopelessness? We would be remiss. Help us be your church on fire, your church alight, your church at work, your church living on the narrow road, your church treating people the way we would want them to treat us. By that model and that example, God, if it can be so, salt this nation and light the way to yourself. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We will close with a hymn. We will not have an invitation, but if you have made some kind of a decision today, this is your moment to tell God about it, and then you can make sure you tell somebody else about it before you leave. Just stand with us as we sing this song in closing. And this will be our final act together in worship.
our services today. Go out and treat somebody the way you would want to be treated.